Hello and welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. You're listening to the podcast for people who want to learn about the government market from the contracting officer's perspective. If you are a contracting officer, we hope to give you a little more insight into industry's perspective. Our mission is to make government contracting better one contract at a time. Today's episode features special guest Vicki Straharsky. Vicki is a proposal manager with Skyway Acquisition Solutions, and like me and Kevin, spent part of her career with the government and part working on the industry side. We got so much great information out of this conversation with Vicki that we decided it had to be more than one episode. So here we go with part one of what I learned about proposals. Let's get started. Hey, Kevin. Today we have a special guest on your end of Skype. We do. Today we have Vicki Straharsky. She's a proposal manager, part of the Skyway team, and it's kind of cool. We're right here in Tampa in the same room, and so we'll see how this goes. Excellent. Say hi, Vicki. Hi, Kevin. Hi, uh, hi, Paul. Well done. So today we'd like to talk again about one of our favorite topics, which is proposals. Kevin and I have talked before about what we wish we knew when we were contracting officers. This is great because you're a proposal manager. You've been doing this for quite a while now. So you've seen many, many proposals from the industry side and from your days on the government side. Before we get started, tell us a little bit about your experience and what you've done. Um, Well, uh, for uh, a number of years, uh, I was a contract specialist uh, for the Army and a contracting officer and a number of other titles that probably don't mean so much to everybody else. <laughs> um, but contracting officer uh, for the Army at uh, uh, up in Virginia. And then uh, I moved to uh, Florida, and I became a contract specialist at the Special Operations Command, where I spent eight years. Um, I got out of there in 1999 and went to work as a consultant uh, something called the PTAC, uh, the Procurement Technical Assistance Center uh, representative. I was paid by a grant to help small businesses do business with the government, which suited me fine. It was uh, a very fun job. Um, and after that, I des- I had already decided that I'd wanted to start my own business. And um, so I went off on my own and started writing proposals. And there was a great... Uh, you know, a great need for it. I mean, it was a huge interest to small businesses, especially. And uh, so I didn't have any trouble finding uh, willing clients to be my guinea pigs. (laughs) And (laughs) I'm practicing on you. Yes. And I told them straight up, you know, and I gave them, gave them a cut rate, you know, (laughs) but uh, truly my, uh, my knowledge was sound and, uh, and for I've been doing that now for 20 years. I've grown. I've done proposals and writing them and managing them and managing proposal teams and uh, you know doing uh, pretty much everything soup to nuts on proposals uh, for small businesses all the way to large prime contractors who uh, you know are serving the Department of Defense in particular. Wow. So uh, she puts us to shame, Kevin. Oh, just in proposals, trust me. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. We, we joke about the fact that I, I have like a bachelor's degree in proposal management and Vicki has a PhD. Uh, and she's <laughs> exactly. been with the Skyway team since, well, honestly, since late 2011. She's been here for the whole ride from, you know, from, from day one. So it's, it, it's really amazing how much she kind of undersells how much she knows about this process, which is why I thought it'd be great to have her talk about this topic. 
Yeah. So here's here's the usual agenda. We're gonna we're gonna talk about what what is a proposal again, just to baseline it. We're gonna talk about what acquisition time zone we're in. Then we're gonna cover what do you wish you knew when you were a contracting officer about the proposal process that you've learned going through so many proposals from the industry side. We always like to touch on why this is important and why government should care and why industry should care. So with that, Kevin. Let's baseline. What 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 is a proposal? So we're going to simplify it. We also talked about this in one of the previous uh, podcasts. But the idea of this is a thinking document. So this is in response to a government RFP. This isn't a quote, but it could be a GSA proposal. It could be part of a, a task order proposal for a um, indefinite delivery, indefinite quantity contract. It's multiple award. It could be a straight C contract that you're bidding on. But the idea is that the government says. Here's a section L&M. Here's a requirement. Tell us how you would solve it. And then industry says, hey, hey, pick me, and here's why. A written so document kind of, is, is something that you have to think about, not just not just like push a button and it spits out the, the last one. This is something that requires some crafting. So, Vicky, what's your view of a proposal? Did we cover it? Yes, actually. Uh, and actually, it can be for quotes, although they're much smaller at the time at that point. But uh, you find that small businesses get a lot of requests for quotes and they do require a technical approach, um, something uh, describing how they're going to actually do the job. And a small uh, business looks at that and says, oh, I have to what? I have to write yeah. down how I'm going to do this? But I know how I'm going to do it. I've never written it down. Or pretty much, uh, pretty much. Or they, what's worse is they say, "Well, um, I'll decide that when I get the contract," and uh, <laughs> that that doesn't wash too well when you have to write a proposal and no, tell that's how you're going to do. That gets rated red. <laughs> yes, yeah. So uh, proposals are to tell the government how you are going to do it, and one thing that you want to you know, that you that you're trying to project is uh, is that you are the best qualified. Um, and that you uh, really know what you're doing and that you're the best value. So those are the kinds of things that we're trying to project in a proposal, whether you're a small business or engulf and devour, uh, trying to uh, show why they should be the ones who get the award. <laughs> that's, that's great. That's a great add-on to our, our Kevin and I get the, the caveman proposal as a piece of paper, and then you like make the purpose of it uh, round out there. Nice. Yeah. See, there's that, there's that bachelor's versus PhD right, coming out. Right. <laughs> All right, Vicki. So what do you wish you knew when you were a contracting officer about the proposal process? Oh boy. Uh, when I was a contract specialist, I uh, had no idea what I didn't know. Um, I, I wish that I had known how difficult RFPs are to read and understand. Um, when I was a specialist and putting them together, yes, they're very difficult documents to put together um, and hard to collect all the requirements and uh, identify the instructions and the evaluation criteria. Um, but uh, I felt like it was, once you'd read one, it was easy after that. Uh, but I got out and for the very first time, I read RFPs that belong to other agencies, and that's <laughs> my opener. Um, I encourage any contract specialist, you know, if you're really, you know, if you want another look at the other side, take a look at uh, a, a solicitation that's 
you know, on the street from, say, State Department or Environmental Protection or right. and about a topic that you don't know anything about, as well as you know what you buy all the time, right? Yeah, pretty much. And just read it. Just read it as though you're going to try to respond to it, and it will it, it will be a true eye opener as to how difficult it is, especially for small businesses uh, who've not been in the government environment very long, uh, even those who have been, it still takes time to to read and understand the RFP thoroughly. Um, sometimes we would get questions that I thought were like, well, duh, you know, do they really, uh, do they really not see that? It's right here, you know, um, but uh, there's a reason for that. And it's because it is so challenging to, um, to read and thoroughly understand, uh, you know, uh, what's in the solicitation. The requirements seem to be everywhere. And uh, when you have like 10 attachments and all of that stuff to get through, um, it's, it is very challenging. Hey, so Kevin I and I have I- talked about that. The, yeah. uh, I, Kevin, I mean, jump in here. It's the longest I've ever heard you be quiet in a row. So Vicky must be saying good that's, stuff. That's-, uh, th- that's one of the things that we talk about on a regular basis is that, RFPs are hard to understand, and they're needlessly complicated in a lot of cases. If if you strip out all of the the dreck that doesn't belong, maybe you get a, a maybe you get a clearer document. Maybe so. Uh, I I'm not really. Um, I never once went to work and just and thought I'm going to make this as complicated as I can. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I which never, is what and, industry thinks, by the way. Yeah, they're trying good. to trick me. Yeah, exactly. And um, and I've actually said that during seminars, you know, as well, because there is a perception that, you know, we're we're just slapping stuff in there. And um, and no, no more than you, the industry side, slap stuff into a proposal um, and just to make it complicated or hard to read. Uh, the RFP is is not generated to be complicated. It just is by its nature. Um, I think that there is some stuff that goes in that, you know, people don't do that extra edit to make sure that conflicting information isn't in there, um, to make sure that the instructions actually track with the evaluation criteria. Yeah, that's Um, always nice. Yeah, it helps. So, um, I'm not sure that, um, there's a lot that can be done to streamline or, improve the RFPs other than just making sure that, that the information that goes in there is correct and um, is written, the instructions are written clearly, simply and clearly. Yeah. So one of the problems that we, I think we talked about in the past, again, Kevin and I have talked about, maybe not you and I, Vicki, is lots of RFPs start with boilerplate. That they, It starts with the last RFP, which probably started with the RFP before. So over time, you build up a large document that has lots of very well-meaning things that apply to last time somebody bought something. And without, without really stripping it down and thinking about what it says and what that means to you, then you end up with, like you're saying, you don't end up with, with tracking between sections. You don't end up with the clarity of this is what I want to buy this time. That's true. And that's human nature to go ahead and grab a boilerplate. Uh, that was in existence. I mean, you'd be silly to recreate the wheel. 
Right, right. There's a reason why it was done that way last time. It's because at some point, it, it this this was a good basis to start with. I just think people forget that that was that's to start with. That's not your end product. Exactly. And it takes time to update it and to make sure that it tracks with exactly what it is you're doing today. Um, it, it really needs to be done because you're right. You get duplicate stuff. You get duplicate or conflicting instructions. Uh, you know, you put in new stuff, but don't take out the old stuff. Um, <laughs> so, so, you know, it needs to be cleaned up. So as a CEO, do you remember a time that you wrote a very hard to understand RFP? Oh, I'm sure I did. Um, I, I thought that I was doing a really great job. and uh, We all do. All the questions that I would get, it'd be like, oh, my gosh, look at all these questions. How could they not understand, you know? Um, so, you know, it's you do your best to write clearly. Uh, the next step is to listen to the questions uh, and know that the questions are not there to make you feel like you've been criticized and they're really looking for clarity. They're really looking for the answer. They're not just pointing out something that appears to be wrong just because that is, you know, they want to make you feel like you made a mistake. So um, a lot of times I think we get the questions in and we, we have this feeling of, oh my gosh, you know, they, they either they don't know what they're talking about or they're just, uh, they're being sarcastic and, you know, things like that. So and try to put all of that emotional stuff on the back burner and just read the questions and answer them because those questions mean that they really don't understand. They really are wanting an answer, a clear answer. So to tag on to what you're saying, one of the things I notice is, or noticed is that I felt like when somebody questioned an RFP that they were calling my baby ugly. And it's funny how I, I've used that phrase when a proposal comes in and you tell them, yeah, you didn't answer the following, you're calling their baby ugly. So for the industry to understand the questions, whether it makes sense or not, as a contracting officer, I remember thinking, like, like Vicky just went through, I thought they were clear. So it's almost like a, you, what, it's human nature to look at this and go, dude, I spent the last month crafting this section L&M. And for you to say that this doesn't make sense, and again, watch your tone as the industry saying, I, I don't quite see what you're saying here, as opposed to, what are you thinking? You know, Because the contracting officer is going to be defensive to their they just showed their baby to you and you shot holes in it, you know? So it, it's interesting how that happens. And, and I didn't see that clearly when I was a contractor. Yeah, I went through a phase early on where I get a question and, and I think, they're trying to trick me. They're trying to get me to say something that I didn't want to say and they're trying to make it unfair. And so, you know, that that's where you get answers like, you know, they, they say, what did you mean by this? And you go, see section L. <laughs> paragraph L25. You know. Very helpful question because that's the paragraph they said they didn't understand anything about. Exactly. And uh, and that's the thing that we need to, we as contract specialists need to avoid uh, because, and I know I did it too, um, but it, it, we need to actually try to um, clarify when something is questioned, especially if you get a couple of questions about a particular section that should clue you that it's not clear. Yep. Maybe you need to consider rewriting a section and yep. issuing an RP amendment, right? Yeah. You're going to be stuck with an amendment anyway. You got 
45 questions. <laughs> <laughs> now you got to do an amendment. So you might as well make it a smart one, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, let's circle back. If, when the communications break down between the sides, when they haven't been talking ahead of time, that's where it's easy to, to, to read sarcasm, either to be sarcasm, sarcastic or to read sarcasm into the, the back and forth or not just sarcasm, but antagonism and all kinds of other isms. That's true. And uh, that actually leads into a, a, another solution, which I'm finding that uh, the large contracts you get this more now, uh, draft RFPs that are put out, including sections L and M, looking for questions, comments, uh, you know, input from industry right then. They don't want to save it till that 30-day period. They want to hear from industry right now. Okay, what's the problem with this? And going ahead and floating those out there, uh, which I think is a great idea. Um, you know, the one, the, you know, industry who catches on late and doesn't see the draft RFP, well, you're behind the power curve. That's the way it is. And, but the draft RFP, you can learn a lot and you can have a lot of good communication between industry and the government at that point. And the risk to reward ratio is, is much easier before the RFP is officially launched. Yep. That's really the better time to talk, which we, we, we foot stomped that a lot. Easier to modify the draft RFP than to issue an RFP amendment after you've issued the final. Oh, yeah. yeah. I have an example of uh, sarcasm from the other side, from industry side. Um, as a contract specialist, I, I uh, received a number of proposals, and these were from the big guys, the big companies out there. Uh, one of the big guys was Raytheon. They won, so I'm going to go ahead and say their name. Uh, they were not the sarcastic ones. <laughs> <laughs> but one of, there were five large competitors who came in uh, bidding on this, and they had written extensive proposals. Uh, we didn't put limits on it like you see today, so we got in 350-page proposals. Uh, Yahoo, you know, and uh, it took us weeks to evaluate them. Well, we we ended up going out for discussions with each of the offerers, and we asked questions regarding the proposal, and we got the responses back in, and we had teams of people evaluating different sections. We had like several sample tasks. We had a management plan. We had past performance. We had a technical approach. It was a very complex um, effort. And all of the team in evaluating all of the proposals remarked at how sarcastic the responses were from this one offer um, and uh, throughout the proposal. And it was just amazing that all of us came away feeling like we'd been slapped because, you know, these answers that came back were basically in the, in a tone of voice that said, are you stupid? Why didn't you see this in there? Um, and of course, since we're hiring a service industry contractor, do you really want to work with somebody who's that sarcastic? You know, so <laughs> it cast a pall over their entire proposal 
whether they intended it or not. Do you think it was a company endorsed snarkiness or, or maybe <laughs> just one person that, that was inadvertently making his whole company sound like jerks? You know, I think it was corporate culture. Yeah. Um, the company in question was traditionally a manufacturer and they were trying to enter the service arena. And it's a different kettle of fish, obviously. You're, you're talking more, more about working with a customer and, uh, uh, you know, and being responsive and things like that, where the manufacturing side, give us the spec, here's what we'll do, and we'll give it to you. And, you know, government stand over there, and we'll, we'll give you what you want. So it's a different culture, and I think that some of that came through because they were offended that we were asking questions about their proposal because they weren't used to it. They, they weren't used <laughs> Don't you know who we are? Basically that was it, you know? Uh, so yeah, at least that was the feeling that we came away with. And it couldn't have been just one person because it was the entire proposal. A proposal is written by a, a team of individuals, not just one person. So it had to be more of a company culture thing than just an individual who had kind of a bad attitude. Right. Um, no more than an RFP is written by one person. It's, it's you always have input from proof of Right. So that's a good lesson to the industry side that the company can come off to the government as, as arrogant or, or sarcastic, but just the image that's portrayed through the communications back and forth, especially if you're bidding for a long-term deal, not just deliver these items to my shipping, my loading dock and be done with it. If you're going to build a relationship with the government and the attitude that comes off through the proposal process and through the communications is, is, is not a friendly cooperative one, you're creating the impression in the evaluator's minds that they might not want to work with you. And even though they have to evaluate your proposal based on the merits of what you've written down, they're already looking at it kind of through one eye half closed, a little squinty, uh, skeptical, just based on the, the attitudes back and forth. So that's, that, to, me, to me, that's a good lesson that, that uh, industry might not realize that, that, uh, that attitude matters. You think, did I say that right? Um, yeah, actually, uh, attitude matters and it shows up in your proposal, uh, your attitude, if it comes, if it's negative, if it's, uh, aggressive, if it's, uh, you know, uh, uh, critical of the, the evaluators, uh, then it makes you read it, read what's in the document with a different mental attitude. Listen, let's not just poke industry in the eye here. The, the government's attitude in an acquisition comes across too. I mean, you feel it when the government has, has written an RFP. If you're not the, the front runner in, in the government minds or if you feel you're not the front runner in the government minds, everything the government said can, can come, come through that, that haze of, of, of we're not going to pick you anyway. And contractors can feel that. If they feel that, you're more likely to get a protest and bungle the whole thing up. And, and I've got – Going back to my contracting officer side, I've got two examples of this, and I'll compress them into the same idea. One was for products, and actually one was for services, and we got lots and lots of questions. Going back to calling my baby ugly by asking these questions, and there was one particular scenario on both where 
I, I, I give the offerers credit that they, they kept coming back to me and phrasing it differently. But their, their tone basically was, I don't mean to poke you in the eye here, but you still haven't answered my question. And here's, and, and here's the important lesson learned. Until they said, here's, how we think you're, here's what we think you're trying to do, but here's what we see. And, and there was this, I remember it, it's like a light bulb go off. And I'm thinking, oh. How many questions did it take to get through thinking, your skull? Three. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, one of the, it was that moment where it was that, that whole idea of, oh, Hunter Green looks like this to them versus Sage Green. It was, it was that kind of clarity. Yeah. And it, it was in terms of how they interpreted a clause on the, on the production one. And then on the services one, it was, it was section L and M is that it was, they were asking for a more, more better. <laughs> they were asking for a better understanding of what the totally evaluated price looked like. And on a service contract, that's a big deal because it's a multiple, it's a, you know, it's a five-year contract. It's going to be multiple award. They want to understand this is the price I'm signing up to for the next five years. I want to make sure that I do this right. It was a fair question. That one only took two times, by the way. But when they got through my head that this is, I don't quite get what you're saying here. And, and again, and going to, to Vicky's point, the way they asked it, it wasn't, it wasn't sarcastic or this doesn't make any sense. It was, I think you're trying to say this, but this is what I see. And that's, that's actually how we coach our clients on when you ask a question in the RFP, be obvious, which again, we talk about that all the time, right? Say, this is what I see. Is this what you want me to see? Right. But if they'd have, if they'd have pissed you off with the question, it might've never gotten through, you know, it would have put up another shield in front of your, your brain and, and not allowed you to go. Oh, it's my, I've, I'm the one that's unclear here. And this goes back to the critical thinking exercise we talked about with Mike Fischetti is this idea of, this is a thinking job and it's very easy. And again, I've done this. I get defensive in my, you? and I'm like, I can't be wrong. And so you get spun up and you, and you the language that you both sides send to each other, you, you don't, don't want to invoke that. And I think that there's, and to some extent, there's this mentality of, well, we, we can't possibly be on the same team. Well, the intent is to win the contract and yes, be on the same team. So let's think that's what we're trying to get to, right? So it's, it's, a, it's a dance that we play, but it all starts with communicating better. Okay, that's it for part one of what I learned about proposals. We'll have more in the weeks to come. The audio got a little sketchy there at the end, so thanks for hanging in there with us. As always, if you have questions, comments, or complaints, go to contractingofficerpodcast.com, hit the contact button, and let us know what you think. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.